pit bull philosophy. What does a pit bull do? Dogs don't scare me by and large, except pit bulls, because I know what pit bulls do. Pit bulls will bite and they'll not let go. That was Dr. David Horton who was talking about pit bulls and biting and not letting go. He's today's guest. He talks about Hard Rock, Leadville, Western States, Appalachian Trail FKTs, Pacific Crest Trail, finishing Barclays, talking about toughness, mindset, what drives him, where he is now and what his future is. David is an awesome person. He inspired me so much when I met him last year and I thought, I've got to share David's story with other people so they too can be inspired. So enjoy it. Here he is on the show talking about all great things. I'm going to start off by asking you, what did you have for breakfast? I had, oh, that's an interesting question. I rode 20 miles on my bike this morning and then I got back home and uh, made uh, uh, two waffles and three pieces of bacon and skim milk. Hey, David, why is it before you meet other athletes, you like to have already done your workout? Uh, I'm a big, big proponent of exercise, running in particular, biking secondarily, but exercise in particular. And uh, I feel like uh, when I talk to someone, I want to know that I've already exercised before I talk to them. I want to know, I want them to know that I practice what I preach. How did you get into running and when did it all start? That's a short question, but a long answer. I'll try to make it uh, detailed, but uh, maybe not go on forever. Yes, I started running in 1977 when I was working on my doctorate in physical education. And uh, the teacher I had motivated me to exercise. He said, you know, you can't preach exercise to other people if you don't do it yourself. So I started running. Well, I ran a little bit for a few years there, ran a marathon or two. And then in 1979, I ran my first ultra marathon, the John F. Kennedy 50-mile race. And uh, finished in 743.16, not that I remember. 24th place out of 400 runners. And I thought, hey, I found something here that I can do. So I continued running a few marathons and a few ultras and won my first ultra, I think, in 19. 81. I won, I think, uh, 40 out of 160. Uh, I'm not sure how many second place and third place, but uh, second place is first loser, third place is, is third loser. But anyway, I ran ultras for a while there, and then I thought, well, hey, uh, I read this book about a, a fictional Transamerica race, and so it was called Flanagan's Run, uh, and I thought, that sounds pretty cool. I'd like to run across America someday. Well, uh, there really wasn't any race at that time. And then finally, 1992, they started one. But before that, I did the Appalachian Trail. And to tell the truth, I still consider the Appalachian Trail my probably my most significant thing and trying to do it fast. At the time, the record was 60 and a half days. And uh, he was a hiker that did that. And I thought, well, a runner could do it faster. Well, how much faster? Well, I thought I could do it. My goal was, was uh, 56 days when I started. And I ended up doing it in just over 52 days. Well, when I started that, uh, there was n no FKT, fastest known times of people trying to do things fast. And so I was the first one to do something like that. And uh, I had no idea I could do it. In fact, I thought I couldn't do it. But, you know, once you commit to doing something, you have to start. And if you start, you want to try to finish. So 
I did that, and then uh, I did more ultras, and basically I stopped doing marathons because marathons were so hard. You have to run so fast in marathons. They're really tough. Uh, tough to recover from, tough to do. Actually, I think ultras are easier in, in a way. Plus, I could do better at ultras. And then uh, uh, I did a few other things here and there and did, ran Barkley, finished Barkley. Uh, that's probably of all the things I did to do it again, that would probably be the hardest thing to do, to finish the Barkley Marathon, which is really a 100-mile race, not a marathon race. And I finished that, I think, in 2001, the age of 51, Pacific Crest Trail at, at 55. And then uh, I'd been running for 32 years, no injuries, and running along one day, and my knee started hurting. And I stopped and felt, and I thought, that's meniscus. So I had a torn meniscus. Couple more surgeries, and the doctor told me I shouldn't run anymore uh, after I had the knee replacement. And I haven't. I haven't run anymore except I've run 250Ks just to say that I've done them, but didn't train for them, and they hurt muscular wise. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, I have to do something. So I started biking, and I started biking in August of 2010. And so now I've been biking basically uh, be 10 years this August. So. I'm a biker now. I still mentally though, I'm still a runner. So anyway, you got to do something and I've got to do something. Yeah. And my goal, I tell my students all the time is I hope on the day I die, and you should think about this. I hope on the day I die that that morning, I used to say I had a good run. Now I say, I hope on the morning, day I die that that morning I had a good bike ride yeah. because that means that my quality of life was still good. And so I hope every how long I live that my quality of life is still good, that I'm still moving, I'm still doing something. Not competing, but uh, exercising and moving well. So exercise is the name of the game. That's the name of the game for me. Um, I teach you, you know, in the exercise science department, I teach two running classes, beginning running and advanced running. And, uh, and the advanced running in the, in the fall, they have to run a marathon in the spring, they have to run an ultra marathon. And so basically, if I'm doing very, very little in four months, I can get them to running a marathon or running an ultra marathon. It's well within the capabilities. Running one, not racing one. Racing one is a different story. Yeah. So, so like running and, and movement and exercise and is, is a huge part of your life. It's like you say, it, it, it seems to also affect the way you are mentally. <clears throat> you know, it's not just about toning up your calf muscles or trying to look in good shape. It's also your, your, how you feel about yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I often tell people that, uh, you know, health and physical fitness are things we exercise for, but I tell also tell people that health and physical fitness are stages we go through on becoming the best runner or best biker that we can. So I don't do it for running. I mean, I don't do it for health. I don't do it for, for fitness, I do it because it's me, and I do it because I want to compete. And I can't ever imagine not competing. And I'm so disappointed that uh, uh, you know the the world condition with pandemic uh, that uh, things have happened. Because two days from now, I was planning on leaving for uh, Portland, Oregon, to start uh, next this coming Sunday on the Trans America bike race, which I did three years ago. It's yeah. you know 4,200 miles from Astoria, Oregon to Yorktown, Virginia, and I wanted to do that again. So I guess now it'll be next year, but uh, it's sort of depressing. And it's yeah. been a little bit hard 
in terms of thinking about what am I going to do? What am I training hard for? I mean, last weekend, not this past weekend, but the previous weekend, I did four days, did 442 miles of biking. Yeah, uh, I averaged 110 miles a day for four days. Uh, something to do. Uh, and it was a little hard at times, but uh, uh, that's why I need something to as a goal. Otherwise, I'll not train as hard as I would hope for, would like to do. Actually, that's a um, good, uh, another good segue. I want to ask you, did you ever have a set amount of miles or uh, volume in time um, that you would aim to run when you were running? And did you feel like you had to reach that goal to, in order to be competitive? Yes, yes. It's pay me now or pay me later. If you don't do the training, uh, it's gonna be hard to do it in a race. So basically, I, for, for uh, 50 to 100 mile races, I would average 80 to 100 miles a week. And I'd try to train on things that like I was going to race on. For uh, multi-day races, I would run 100 to 120 miles a day. And then uh, for a week. the app, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, per week, okay. yes, yeah. per week. Uh, and uh, when I was training to run across America for two months, I averaged 160 miles a week for two months. And of course, when we were doing the Trans-America race, we averaged 45.4 miles a day. And it wasn't just running, it was racing 45.4 miles a day. Uh, yeah. In fact, the whole average for running across America, I averaged nine minutes and 15 seconds per mile. Wow. So it was a race across America. Running across America is, is hard, but racing across America is real hard. So basically, I trained hard for 30 years. I the least amount of miles I had was 3,000 miles in kilometers. I'm not sure what that is, probably 40-something hundred kilometers for 30 years in a row. No entries. So I trained hard and consistently. Uh, I trained real hard when I trained, and sometime after a race, I'd take it easy for a period of time. Taking it easy would be running 40 or 50 miles a week. Yeah, so you wouldn't just keep an average of th that volume up. So you, would you have like a training block? You mentioned eight weeks. Did you? Did yes. You have a, yeah. Yes, usually my training block, uh, I, I try to stay in decent shape all the time. And then when I train hard for a race for about eight weeks, I would uh, train real hard with it, get, with it getting progressively harder and harder and harder. And I did hear you on Trail Running Nation talk about in America, we or you guys, maybe in the West, taper a little bit too much. Yes. Uh, what I used to do was I'd have my hardest training run one week before my biggest race. And so one week before my biggest race, I'd have a, a, a tough, tough workout. Whereas in America now, basically they start uh, cutting back at about three weeks and then two weeks and then at a week, they're not doing much. And I think it's too much. And I, I've known of a lot of people who because of circumstances wouldn't taper that long and they do better. Uh, at Hard Rock, uh, the race started on Friday. I used to have my last long training run on Monday of that week. And then uh, at Hard Rock, I started six times, dropped out once, had two first, a second, and two thirds. And so for a flatlander, I did okay at Hard Rock. Hard Rock's the prettiest race I've ever run. So yeah. that's the race you want to run someday if you can. I, I'm, I'm in the lottery for that one. Uh, and Stay I in I'm, it. Yeah, I'm a two-year loser, so I'm building up my tickets, you know. Yes, that's what you need to keep doing. Yeah, yeah. Same with Western states. Actually, how did you 
how did you get into Western States? Because I know you ran it. W was it a lottery system when you entered? Nope. Nope. Um, it wasn't a lottery system then. Basically, if you entered early enough, everyone could get in. Same way with Hard Rock. And things have changed. It's just there's so many ultra runners. There's so much demand for Western States and Hard Rock. Of course, the demand for Hard Rock is bigger than Western States. And I understand why. You you had a choice. You would want to run Hard Rock, not Western States. But if you run Hard Rock, you better go and train at the altitude. And I'd usually go out three weeks ahead. And um, I felt like that was enough. Okay, so Western States, Hard Rock, Hard Rock wins over beauty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. And I like the vibe uh, of uh, Hard Rock more so than Western States. It's sort of a down-home ultra. Western States, uh, there's so many rules and regulations, and, and it's not near as pretty. It's a pretty race, but nothing compared to Hard Rock. So then not only have you run a whole bunch of 100 milers, you've also as I mentioned, or as you mentioned as well, actually set the record on the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail and raced across America. So that, that's three epic, um, that's ultra endurance, as Warren Doyle once said to me, not ultra running, it's ultra endurance. How about you? What, how do you, what differences do you find between, let's say, a single stage ultra marathon compared to a multi-day event? in terms of the difficulties you face? Uh, one day is based more on horsepower. Uh, Western States, Hard Rock, uh, uh, even Barclay to a certain extent is more horsepower. If you don't have the horsepower, you can't fake horsepower. Uh, but uh, when you start talking about multi-day uh, Transamerica race on a bike or on foot, you're talking about a lot of other factors. You're talking about durability of the body and durability of the mind, durability of the will. Um, everyone wants to do good until the rubber meets the road. Then the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. Uh, it's tough. It's tough mentally. So I always felt like I didn't quite have the horsepower that the best runners had, but uh, I had the will to train and the will to persevere during the race. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it deals with other things. Would you say that there's, um, a certain amount of time when you're doing, doing one of these multi-stage kind of FKT or races across America where you feel, okay. Cause some of these lasted, like you said, 60, how long was the Pacific Crest Trail? How many? Six, 66 days, uh, seven hours, okay. 15 minutes. So how a long time. And, and how many days does it take you to get into the stride for the body to recognize what is what's happening? Well, one of the things that you don't read about and you don't uh, that you probably do, but some most people don't, is that the body does get in a higher level of conditioning after uh, four, five, six days. After four, five, six days, basically what happens is uh, recovery is quicker. Uh, you recover quicker. Your body, number one, you can sleep better. It takes four or five days before you can start sleeping well. It also takes four or five days before you can start uh, eating well, which means eating more. Basically, in these long, long things, multi-day things, uh, the more you can eat, the better you'll do. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'd think, well, you can always eat, but you've got to eat a lot. And I know doing these things towards the end, I always think, I'm, I'll be glad this is over with, so I can eat as much as I want, and I don't have to 
force food. And sometimes you have to force food. If you don't force food, it's fuel. Okay. Uh, multi-day is just basically four or five days it takes you to start eating better, which means eating more, start sleeping better, and also get into the uh, uh, get into the feel that I can do this. I'm doing this. And so it, it doesn't just happen overnight. Four or five days, it really starts, and uh, you start adapting. When you do a multi-stage as well, um, especially ultra running style, I think were your own words in a documentary I watched by JB Benner called The Runner, which yes. I'll also put in the show notes at the end so people can go and watch that. That's now available on YouTube. So how, how does the uh, crew um, and, and the support play a role in one of these events? Well, as you know already, the crew is extremely, extremely important uh, because you have to depend on your crew. Being certain places and uh, having the fuel that you need, the food that you need, uh, maybe the clothes that you need, uh, taking care of arrangements, taking care of eating. It's just vital that you have a crew that you can depend on. So I've always been fortunate. I have a lot of friends. I have taught for many, many years here at Liberty, 41 years and I've directed over a hundred ultra marathons, and so I have lots and lots of friends. So uh, you've got to get someone that you can trust, that you can depend on, that, that, that you know that they will be there. And I've been fortunate in that area. So that's really, really helped me do the things I've done. And then um, also, I've asked about your training approach in terms of distance. How about any supplementary kind of training? Did you ever do any strength training? I do zero strength training, zero weight training, zero uh, cross training. Uh, basically, if you want to be a better runner, you should run. If you want to be a better swimmer, you should swim. If you want to be a better biker, you should bike. And the more you do, the better you'll do. Cross training, as well as other things, uh, I think for some people might help some, but uh, basically I ran for 32 years with no injuries, with no cross training, with no strength training. Basically, I ran and ran hard in specific types of training. There's a quote by Emil Zatopek, and I wanted to ask what your interpretation is. Today we die a little. Today we die a little. I'm not quite sure. I'd never heard that quote before. I love quotes. Uh, I guess today we suffer a little bit. Uh, I don't know. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to work hard. Uh, and you've got to want it. And how do you know you want it bad enough? Uh, I don't know. I, I heard of a great quote from a, a South African runner once that said, uh, the will to win means nothing without the will to prepare. And so I really like that quote. Uh, today we die a little bit. That's true. Who's the toughest person that you've ever met and why, um, what, what qualities do you think uh, made them tough? Wow. I have never had that question asked to me. Who's the toughest person you've ever met? I'm not sure. That's sort of like asking me, who's, who do I idolize the most? And I'm not sure there either. Yeah, let me step in there. Because okay. you said you like to practice what you preach. David, you've done more than most. You're up there with the best in the world. You've done things so tough 
that people can draw inspiration because i'll say out loud i draw a lot of inspiration from you from meeting you um your personality your perseverance your toughness i would say that you're the toughest person that i've met that's very humbling i don't feel very tough <laughs> most of the time uh very very seldom do i feel tough uh I feel like a wuss. I feel like a weenie. <laughs> I I have self doubts, uh, uh, but that's humbling. You saying that I I know if if someone else had done the things I've done, uh, biking across America twice, some running across America twice, uh, I would think that, uh, and finishing Barkley, I would think that person is tough. And that's me. <laughs> and winning Hard Rock, that's me. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff, but I hope to do a lot more stuff. And I do hope it motivates other people. As a Christian, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be examples to others. I I know that I have motivated people, and I've motivated lots of students. And and uh, someone once said about me, because of Horton, many have accomplished more than they ever thought possible. But then I make the statement back, because of me, many people have suffered more than they ever thought possible. Uh, it's sort of like after I finished the Pacific Crest Trail, I think I said in the post interview right after we finished, the morning after we finished to J.B. Benna, I said, I wish I could show people what I've seen. Yeah. But I wish I could also have a maybe an extension cord and stick into me and see and let people know how I've suffered, how I felt, how hard it's been at times. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily uh, know of anyone that I think is the toughest person I've ever met. Uh, I don't know. Well, but I guess I am tough. But yeah, was it was it one time or sometime? No, I think you are tough, and I think you were born tough. Um, I don't think it's just what you've done. I think it's who you are. One of the things as a teacher is I think we need to motivate others. And I remember as a high school football player, um, I played basketball and football and did not run any at all. We didn't have running at our school. Well, anyway, the assistant football coach, Donnie Tudor, and I remember his name, said to the head football coach, who I don't remember his name, he said, that David Horton, he said, he may not have the most talent, but no one will ever work harder than he he will, or he does. And I thought, he said that about me, and I've always thought of that. And so I try to remember that when I see people who have some abilities, some talent, who are willing to work hard, uh, I try to tell them that. So uh, when you say something about someone, it gets back to them that, and I know I've had students say, because of you, I have uh, been able to do more than I ever thought possible. And that's very motivating. Well, let's go the other direction. What do you think makes people weak? Oh, that's a good question too. <laughs> what makes people weak? It's easier to be weak. It's easier to do nothing. It's easier to not work towards a difficult goal. It's easier to, to sit and do nothing. It's sort of like, uh, with the pandemic now here in America, I know you look and see uh, the percentage of people who die from the pandemic. I would say three, four, 75%, 80% of the people are obese. 
And obesity is such a problem here in the United States, it's such a problem worldwide. Why is it such a problem? Because it's easier to do nothing. Um, so I think that's, uh, uh, so what does it take to be weak? It's just uh, uh, affluence. Affluence makes us weak, I think. Uh, and I know I think about how I was raised. I was raised on a farm in Northern Arkansas. We didn't have a lot of money, but my parents instilled the work ethic. And I think the work ethic is one of the best things in the world we could instill in a young man and a young woman. Uh, if you work hard, you can accomplish a lot. And most things can be accomplished through hard work. Yeah, my mother has instilled in me the same principles that to achieve, you must uh, strive. Yes. So, yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Um, what I, I'm just throwing out some questions here. What would you say is an athlete's biggest enemy? Someone who is driven, who is motivated. What would you say is that person's biggest enemy? Self-doubt. Self-doubt. We doubt ourselves. So if we doubt ourselves, then we have to think about, well, how can we not doubt ourselves? Well, basically, when I went into races, I remember the JFK 50 miler. That was my first ultra in 79. And then in 86, I ran it for the fifth or sixth time. And I looked around the starting line and um, I thought, there's no one can beat me here. I've paid my dues. I've worked hard. I'm going to win this thing. And I, out of uh, like 400 runners, I won by over 30 minutes. And I knew that. So basically, we have to believe in ourselves. And how do we believe in ourselves by doing the work? Yeah, I can see this um, on ultra sign up. Yeah, first place, age 35, JFK, uh, six hours, 16 minutes. Yes, six hours, six, 16 flat. Is uh, what excites you, you know, when you're getting up uh, these days? Like, I know it's tough with the pandemic and stuff because I suppose you were geared up to cycling across America. Have you thought of any other things you can put in place in the meantime to keep you motivated and focused? Well, I'm hoping weekend after next to go to uh, New York to bike uh, Adirondack Mountain Loop. It's uh, 400 miles and do it in four days. Uh, later, I'm not quite sure. I really don't have anything for this year uh, in mind. So I want to try to stay in shape as much as I can. And then next year, really, really hit hard in the spring and, and try to get ready for the Transamerica next year. Uh, I'd like to run, uh, I'd like to bike the trail in Spain. What's it called? Uh, Camino de Santiago, I think. Yes, yes, I'd like to bike that sometime. Uh, I'd like to bike it recreationally, unless they had a race, then I'd like to bike it uh, competitively. I like to do things competitively because uh, that motivates you to train harder. If you're going to do it competitively. Plus, one of the things I always try to do too, and you should keep this in mind as well as as well as everyone else should keep this in mind. Uh, when we're going to do something that's difficult, announce it to the world. Uh, announce to the world that here's what I'm planning on doing, and then there's a lot of motivation to to uh, to suck it up and and be tough when the going gets tough because the going is going to get tough at some point in time. Uh, and, and many times it comes very, very early. If we can get through those things, I know for me, the critical thing in doing these long, long things is the first week. If I can get through the first week, then uh, I'm, going to be, I'm going to do good. Uh, will I achieve my goals? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to do good. 
I got a question here from my dad. Um, he's a pretty, we're pretty close. Um, he asked actually, uh, what's changed in ultra running in the ultra running scene since the seventies till today? I don't think people are quite as tough as they were back then. Uh, I think uh, runners are pampered a little bit more now. There's more age stations. Uh, if you look at like, for example, the marathon times in the United States, uh, the average finishing time, you know, 20 years ago is was much faster than it is now. Uh, I think, in a way, people are not as tough as they used to be. Uh, now they, what do I get out of this? Do I get a, do I get a, a, a special shirt, a special belt buckle? Uh, they're they're looking for and expecting all these things, whereas back then. Uh, there wasn't much, uh, so it had to be self-motivation, whereas now I think there's a lot more external motivation, and external motivation I don't think lasts a long, long time. Uh, I think we need uh, self-motivation. So you had this knee replacement, is, is that right? What year was that? That was in uh, 2014, so five years, uh, six years ago. And um, you said since then you've run two 50Ks? Yes. Yeah. And and I know that you've run an ultra marathon every decade since the seventies. Um, yes. Um, so that's why I did it. That's why I did the <laughs> ultra marathon. And for that matter, I uh, I gave one race up to the Holly Lake fifty k. I directed for started and directed for twenty five years, and this next uh, uh, February is when it'll be held again, twenty twenty one. I gave it over to one of my well, two of my students that I used to have in class, and they're going to be directing it. And my plan then is to run uh, the 50K then. So I may even train a little bit before then. But I'm going to start training a little bit. Uh, I'm sure I could have run. I'm sure I could have run races. But uh, I could never run like I did before. So I, I'm, I'm sure that more than likely I'll have to have another knee replacement someday. I'm not having any problem now. I've not had any problem since I got it. But uh, he said biking is fine, but I don't think he knew how much I was going to bike. Uh, <laughs> biking, you know, yeah. seven, 8,000 miles a year, that's probably not good for it. Uh, but it doesn't hurt. So anyway, I, I plan on doing that uh, 50K in February, and uh, that'll be another decade, 70s, 80s, 90s, oh, seven decades in a row. Yeah, that's, that's something else. Um, yeah. You know when the the doctor told you the news, okay, David, you're not going to run again. How did that impact you? Well, basically, I like every person. Uh, it, if you'd have told me I was going to uh, running is going to be taken away from me, see, I thought I'd run the rest of my life, and uh, I really did. And uh, so he told me that, and I had to walk four or five miles across town to get this uh, brace to put on my knee before I had surgery. And he said, my, your running days are over. And I cried a little bit. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? Uh, because I've got to exercise. I can't teach if I don't exercise. I can't teach about fitness. I can't teach about exercise if I don't exercise. Mm. So I thought, okay, I'll start biking. Because I always thought if I wasn't a runner, I'd be a biker. And so, uh, it was sad for just a short period of time, but not long, very, very little, because uh, I knew that I have to do something and I started biking. I like it. I don't like it as much as running though, because uh, uh, there's something about running. 
that is just not with biking. Uh, and then the other thing I don't like about biking is the equipment and the cost of the equipment. And yeah. it's always being torn up. Whereas running, you just have to have some shoes and take off. But uh, anyway, yes, it, it hurt me for a short period of time. Uh, if biking is taking away, taken away from me, how will I deal with that then? Well, I don't know. I sure hope I don't turn to swimming because I'm a horrible swimmer. <laughs> have you ever quit anything in your life? And if you did, how did it affect you? Did you draw from strength from that? Uh, yeah, I've dropped out of uh, one bike race and four or five ultras. And how does that make me feel? Like a loser. <laughs> like a loser. Oh, it's hard. It's tough. Uh, I mean, it made me more determined to do better next time. So this is not me. I am not a failure, but I felt like a failure and I felt like a failure until I did something again. So yes, I think that's, that really motivates me. And over the course of time, what really motivates me too is people are saying, well, you can't do that. Oh, there's nothing that will motivate me any more than someone telling me I can't do something if I think I can do something. And so that's part of the reason why I'm still biking uh, and competing is even, you know, at, at the age I am, I don't, I can't, you know, that's been one of the humbling things is as a biker, I'm over the hill uh, physiologically. And if I'd been biking maybe 30 years ago, I'd, maybe I'd been much more competitive. But I am not that competitive. But then again, I'm not that competitive against the front of the pack. I'm not even thinking about the people my age. In fact, there's not hardly any people my age that compete in the things that I do. But that's okay. Did you um, keep some kind of running diary, logging your miles and so on, the training? Yes, I, I did. I kept, I've got a stack of logbooks here in my office. And uh, last time I counted, it was uh, just a little over 113,000 miles of running, which is four and a half times around the earth. Uh, but I haven't kept track of my miles as biking. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, uh, but I'm guessing I'm probably at 50 or 60,000 miles now in biking and it'll go up from there. So was that like a written, handwritten diary for your training log? Yes, yes, yes. For all those years of running, I kept a logbook every year. And I could look back any one year and see the miles I ran and uh, tell you the workouts I had that week. And then uh, actually talking about training. So let's say you're training for, say, um, I know you said with Leadville, you'll get out there three weeks ahead of time. But, you know, with yes. Hard Rock and all that elevation, did you start to include specificity in your training with elevation? Well, in terms of elevation change, yes. I yeah. The mountains around here... Uh, one area on the Appalachian Trail up here, it's, it's gains, uh, 3,000 feet and four miles going one direction. Then you go the other direction and it gains 3,000 feet. So I would do repeats on that. I'd go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And so the elevation change at, uh, Hard Rock was never a problem for me. Uh, just the elevation itself was, the elevation change wasn't. That's why in three weeks... I would sort of adapt to that. So specificity is so important. Yeah, I find uh, if you're training uh, your quad muscles to run down and um, your glute muscles to hike up. Oh, that's another question. Do you kind of, I guess, 
yeah, I saw on the Pacific Crest Trail. How do you determine whether you're going to hike something or if you're going to jog it? Uh, depends on how far I've got to go. Uh, depends on whether it's one day event, what's coming up tomorrow, uh, how tired am I, what do I do when I finish. Uh, but breathing rate in particular, uh, you think about your breathing rate. If you're breathing hard, then uh, you're burning carbs and you're going to be producing lactic acid, which causes temporary muscular fatigue. So basically, it's sort of depend on lots of factors, uh, but mainly breathing rate. If I was breathing too hard, burning more carbs, and carb stores are limited. You got enough carb stores in your body to go about uh, 20 miles if you're rested, uh, but you got enough fat stores to go about uh, uh, 700 miles. And, yeah. and so it would depend on uh, all those factors, but in particular, breathing rates are a key to it. Actually, in my first uh, edition of the podcast, I had a fellow on called Michael McKnight, and he ran 100 miles on zero calories. Uh, and yeah. he, so he's proved you know, that humans can do that. I think he's the first yep. modern day ultra runner to do that just on pure fat storage. Yeah, uh, I know that's, uh, that's hard to believe. And I've been reading about that, but I do believe it. And that can be true. When did you realize that you had like this, this gift for running? I know you mentioned when you were standing on the JFK in um, the year that you won it. Yes, 85. Yes. Yeah, when, when did you start to start thinking, you know, actually, I've got a, I've got a gift here. Uh, actually, when I finished my first ultra, JFK, in 79, when I finished in 743 and, and 24th place out of 400 runners, I thought, hey, I found something I can do. I found something I like. Uh, and before, it was basketball growing up in high school that I was good at. But uh, when I finished that 24th, I thought, hey, I can do this. I'm good at this. And so uh, that was the first time, really. And then, then thereafter, I, uh, like I said, I won my first ultra in 81. And, and after winning a few more, for a period of time there, I was winning probably half the ultras that I competed in. Of course, the number of runners wasn't as much as they are now, but there were some good runners then. And I was beating some faster people because I, I trained hard. So I knew early on that, hey, this is something I can do. I can do. I've got a gift here. I haven't realized that yet in biking. Did, did you have a um, certain strategy when you were racing? Did you like to follow runners and then pass them or lead from the start? How, what was your approach? Well, it wasn't lead from the start. It was, um, I, I was more of an even pace runner. I know I, my best 50 mile uh, race times were 544 and 546 uh, for 50 miles. And in both of those races, uh, my second half was almost identical to my first half. In terms of time so basically i try to maintain an even pace throughout the race um, i know but so i was always conservative at the start and uh, then two-thirds way through when people started getting weak then my con conservancy would help uh, i know when i did the outplace trail the first half i did in uh, 27 days four hours and then the second half i did in 25 days five hours the second half i did it two two days faster than the first half, and it was because, hey, I can go faster than this. 
And I realized that when I got to Harper's Ferry, north of Harper's Ferry, then I started doing more mileage, even though the terrain was tougher. So basically my, my strategy was to try to run strong throughout, but in particular the second half. I just did the calculation. Um, have I got this right that you run an average pace of six minutes, 52 seconds a mile for 50 miles? Yes, that's correct. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Um, that's pretty fast. Yeah, it's moving along. Yeah. Yeah, it's moving along. And it was a hilly course, too. Well, actually, I forgot to ask you, what was, what was your marathon PB, personal best? Uh, 239.52 or something like that. Just under 240. What's it like? You know, what are you doing this week? What are you doing this day? What's your schedules looking like and stuff? Well, I biked 20 miles this morning. This afternoon, I'm going to go home and mow my yard. Also, clean up my car. I haven't cleaned up in forever. And then also play with my grandkids. I've got uh, three grandkids at my house. Uh, There's with my wife right now, and one's 16, and one's 12, and one's uh, uh, three. And so, I'll go home and play with them. So. Uh, no more exercise today, uh, and but like I said, next week or the week after, I plan on doing that 400-mile bike ride up in New York. Have you got friends to go with, or is that a solo endeavor? Uh, the one next week, the one, when I did 442 weekend before last, that was all by myself. Uh, next week, I'm going to do a friend of mine from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, most of the stuff I do now with biking is by myself. I like to go early, like this past Saturday, I did 101 miles, but it was going through some of the mountains, so the toughest area up here, the highest mountain, Apple Orchard Mountain, and uh, started at 3.55 a.m. I like to start early. Wow. And so I can't get people to train with me. I don't really want people to train with me because I start so early, and and I don't go fast, but I go relative, it's the statement, it's not how fast you can run, it's how long you can run fast. Uh, I always thought about. But yeah, anyway, you got me thinking now. I'm trying to work that one out. I'll figure that out afterwards. <laughs> well, see, it's not how fast you can run. Everyone can run fast, but it's how long you can run fast. Ah, yeah, got it. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, I and and just for the listeners, when's your birthday and what age? What what year were you born? How old are you? I am 70 years of age. I was born February 28th, 1950. So uh, I'm 70 years of age this past February. So that number sounds really, really old. And uh, it is old, I guess, but I don't think about myself as being old. I th- but when I look in the mirror, I see, I see an old man outwardly. <laughs> my dad says the same thing. So my dad wants to start um, doing a little bit of exercise. He's good. Can, yeah, he, have you got any advice for him? Start slowly and don't stop. And walking is the best thing to start with. And then if you get in a little better shape, then mix walking and running and walking and running. And think about how your pace again. I always say run, walk at a conversational pace. It's a pace that you can carry on a conversation. It's a pace that you're not breathing hard. If you're breathing hard, you're burning, you're burning carbs. And what you want to burn is fats. Uh, Fat is what's fattening. There's nine calories per gram of fat, whereas carbs, there's only four. You have limited supplies of carbs, but you have unlimited supplies of fat. So start slowly, uh, walk for 20, 30 minutes, and do that four or five times a week, and uh, gradually increase the amount that you run, decrease the amount you walk, 
but make it fun, make it enjoyable, uh, and do it for a lifetime. It's never too late to start. Yeah, I, I like that. I'll pass that on to Dad. Um, and actually, it brings a subject up which I'd like to talk about. Uh, when I met you last year, um, I think I said, oh, do you want a coffee? And you said, no, I don't drink coffee. And then it led me to the question, uh, well, I knew you didn't smoke because most runners don't and athletes don't. And then I asked you, uh, you know, do you drink? And I was pretty blown away that you don't drink, you don't drink alcohol, you don't drink coffee. Has that always been the case? Or was there a certain time in your life that you decided to give these things up? Yes, I don't smoke. That, that's the stupidest thing in the world that you can do uh, to your body. It is so, so destructive. Uh, basically, as a Christian, I don't do a lot of these things. Uh, not that drinking coffee is a sin. It's just that uh, I think it's sort of stupid to drink it uh, because you have to you have to acquire a taste for it. Uh, I don't think anyone really likes coffee the first time they drink it. And I think alcohol is the same way. I don't think anyone who got to acquire a taste for it. Uh, and one in 10 people who drink becomes an alcoholic. And every, for every 10 alcoholics, uh, only one will ever completely recover. So if you don't drink, you have zero chance. Uh, also, if you're trying to encourage others to exercise, you better exercise. If you're trying to encourage others to not smoke, you shouldn't smoke. If you're encouraging others not to drink, you shouldn't drink. So the last time I drank was right before, in 1973, was the last time I had a drink. And it was right before I started coaching. I thought, I, I shouldn't, if I'm going to encourage my athletes not to drink, then I shouldn't drink. So I've not had a drink since. I don't miss it. Uh, uh, so, and coffee, like I said, I don't like it, so I don't drink it. Now, I do drink uh, some drinks occasionally when I'm biking for performance. Uh, I, sometimes I'll drink Frappuccino. I'll consume something that has caffeine in it. But in terms of before or as regular practice, I don't drink and I don't uh, consume any caffeine other than what's in candy or chocolate. Oh, it's sad, but I love chocolate. Who doesn't so, love chocolate? That's un-American to not like chocolate. Well, so anyway, I do these things because I know you, sh you shouldn't, and I know they're not necessarily good for me. Uh, now, I, sometimes I do consume them if I think they'll improve performance. So um, would you say that you didn't have to acquire a taste for ice cream? No. No, I loved it the first time I had it. You don't have to acquire a taste for sugar, ice cream, or anything that's fattening, basically. <laughs> uh, someone once said that if, if something is not good for you, it probably has too much sugar, too, too much calories, too much fat, too much caffeine, or all of the above. And I tend to agree with that. And, and ice cream is – that's one of the things that when you're doing long things, and you need to remember this, is ice cream, especially milkshakes, which you can suck down quickly, is one of the best things in the world for you when you're performing uh, – long endurance activities yeah like the appalachian trail pacific crest trail yep. race across America. you got it you got it actually how about diet um your daily diet do you just uh have a regular diet you eat with your family um breakfast you said um bacon yes and I, waffles. yeah yes i try to eat relatively healthy i don't eat as healthy as i probably should uh but uh, I try to keep keep my calories down. Uh, when I eat ice cream at home at night, uh, which I don't do very often, uh, I try not to eat too much uh, because 
uh, as a cyclist, but especially as a runner, you want to keep your weight down because the less weight you have, uh, the faster you'll move, the better you'll do. What's your uh, height, weight, and has your weight changed over the years? Uh, my height is just under six feet tall. I'm 5'11 and a half, I think. My weight as a runner was 155, 160, but I don't weigh. I think the last time I weighed that I knew my weight was maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. I know when I'm fat and I know when I'm fit. And when I'm fit, that's the way that should be. Uh, but I, su I suspect as a biker, I'm not quite as skinny as I was as a runner. I think my weight is probably 165, something like that. Uh, but when I get fit, it get, gets down a little bit and I perform better. Yeah, that, there's um, a book out and it's about power to weight ratio. Yeah, the, if you look at any of the endurance athletes, um, you know, like in East Africa, they're all pretty skinny and oh, uh, yeah. pretty quick. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, Lance Armstrong, who I admire what he did, but I don't admire his cheating. But uh, he didn't win the Tour de France until he got cancer and he lost about 10 pounds and kept his weight down around 150. He had always been 160. When he got down around 150, he won seven Tour de France in a row. So, yes, weight matters. So what kind of advice do you give to you? So you've got two classes, you've got the um, beginners and you've got the advanced. So before COVID-19 and all that stuff. So is, that's an up and running class and it's been running for ha how many years? I don't know, probably 25 years. Uh, uh, and there's been a number of runners come out of that class. And to me, a runner is someone who's committed to running, not necessarily fast or far, but they're committed to running and they plan on running as a means of exercise for as long as they can. Uh, so I, that's had a great effect on lots of people. Uh, but I tell them, I said, look, my objective in teaching these two classes is for you to become a runner. I'd say running is the best way to achieve exercise for the time invested for the results gain. There's no doubt about it. It is the best form of exercise that people can do. And the cheapest form. Uh, but not everyone can become a runner. Not everyone will become a runner. And uh, uh, some of the people who become runners, I'm sort of surprised about. Some of the people who I wish would become runners, uh, I'm disappointed by. People who have lots of talent, lots of ability to run and run very far or run very fast uh, often don't do that. And I wish they would. So it's definitely a combination of not just the physical talent, but the mental grit or perseverance yep. and the combination of those things. Yep. Pit bull philosophy. What does a pit bull do? Dogs don't scare me by and large, except pit bulls, because I know what pit bulls do. Pit bulls will bite and they'll not let go. So when I see a pit bull, they, they tend to scare me just a little bit. I've never been bitten by a dog. The other day when I was biking, a dog bit my heel, didn't hurt me. But as a runner, I was never bitten by a dog. Uh, but I had a few pit bulls that scared me. You're famous for bringing out fried chicken to well <laughs> to, uh, that's true people, people going for a record attempt on the appalachian trail so where did that come from and uh how did the runners react when you bring the chicken along well it came probably from carl Meltzer. i said what do you want carl he said i like chicken i said okay and so because he liked it as well i took it out some other people and they liked it as well and so Went by Kentucky Fried Chicken, bought a bucket of 
fried chicken. So yes, I do that quite frequently. You actually run a little bit. You pay, we're doing a little bit of running with Carl as well, weren't you, on the trail while he was setting his yes. FTP? <laughs> that was since my knee replacement. I shouldn't have been. And, and uh, I fell a couple of times, and uh, uh, that was hard. It's really interesting for everyone who listens to the show, and it's also not just that. It's interesting for me as well, everything you've been talking about. And, you know, I hope this is the first of uh, many times that we can catch up. But, David, I really appreciate your time. Um, and is there anything that, yeah, actually I do want to, maybe we can end with this question. Uh, to you, with your experience, your successes, your failures, what is the difference between success and failure? You know, it's mentally, because we, physically we can always take another step. Physically we can always go on. But mentally, we give up. Uh, and why we give up, I'm not quite sure sometimes why we do that. Uh, and then, you know, nearly every time I've quit, nearly every time I've given up, I've regretted it. I've hated that. Uh, and I try to remember that next time when I'm in that position where I feel like all is lost. Uh, all is not lost. Uh, take another step. Keep moving forward keep making progress. Uh, and the statement I tell people to think about that I often think about and you should think about, uh, it never always gets worse. Sort of sounds incorrect. It never always gets worse. You think, I feel horrific right now. And yet I've got another month to go. I've got another 500 miles, 1,000 miles to go. If I feel this bad now, how will I feel later? in many cases, you'll feel better. You'll feel good. Uh, it never always gets worse. Uh, that's why the vast, vast majority of people run a marathon and never run an ultra marathon. It's because they think they know how bad they feel at the end of a marathon. They think, well, how bad will I feel at the end of 50 miles? I'll feel twice as bad. No, you won't. Uh, you, you may feel a lot, lot better. And definitely mentally you'll feel better. But uh, it never always gets worse. Don't give up. Take another step. Keep moving forward. Hey, David, it's been a pleasure. Uh, let's keep in contact. Good. And yeah, Okay, good talking to you, Chris. All right. See you later, David. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. Bye. And so I hope you enjoyed your time with David as much as I did. If you liked the show, please go to Apple and give me a five-star rating. That would be much appreciated. Also, you can follow me along on my social media. On Instagram, I can be found at... Christian Ultra, that's with a K, Christian Ultra, and then pretty much the same across all the others. That's Twitter, Christian Ultra, and then also my website. If anyone's interested in any kind of coaching, I've got 20 years experience, and you can find me on my website at www.christianultra.com. And again, that's Christian spelt with a K. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week.